Hello and welcome to Own Your Intuition. I'm Kelly Rich. I'm your host. I'm an intuitive psychic medium based out of Portland, Maine, where I operate my global practice. I'm so honored that you're here and that you're tuning into the show. Each week, you can expect a new episode ranging anywhere from a guided meditation or journey to interviews, how-tos, tips, tricks. My hope is that you listen with an open heart and take any advice shared on here as a suggestion only. You can now schedule your intuitive reading, your mentorship, or private training from anywhere in the world by logging on to my website, kellyrichintuitive.com, where you'll find my schedule and you can adjust to your time zone to see when I'm available. I'm currently booking out about a month in advance. I look forward to connecting with you in this very special and sacred way. Okay, this week I have feminist, activist, and social entrepreneur Judy K.L. Irakuze on the show. She has a strong record of advocating for children, for women's rights, and overall human rights. She has worked on different issues ranging from youth development, refugee integration, and feminist organizing. It's an honor to have Judy on the show, and I ask that you listen with an open heart. You know, if you enjoy the podcast in any way, if you learn something, please consider sharing the show and this episode with your loved ones. Okay, enjoy. Hi, Judy. Welcome to Own Your Intuition. I'm so honored to have you here. I'd love for you to start us off with sharing who you are. Thank you for having me, Kelly. Uh, my name is Judy Kayal Irakoze, and uh, I am Burundian, and I live in the U.S., in Maine. Um, I am a community organizer, so I do social work that involves in making sure uh, women are protected in communities. Uh, my work evolves around race and gender equity, and I work both here in the U.S. and in Africa. I organize in different ways. There is advocacy, there is lobbying, then there is workshops, there is conversations, there's conferences, there's petitions, and then there's my online presence that involves around advocating for women and children's rights and overall human rights. So yeah, I do it in different ways. That's wonderful. I remember when we were talking a few weeks ago, I brought up the topic around the Black Lives Matter movement, and you brought up a point that I haven't seen around this idea that women and children are left out of the equation sometimes, and Mm -hmm. that in some points or I guess facets of the Black Lives Matter movement that they may have been left out of that conversation? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually sad because there's, there's an amazing quote that, that's everywhere that everyone talks about. Um, they talk about how the least protected person in America is a Black woman. But sometimes people don't sit with that. What does it mean that the least protected person in America is a Black woman? It means that even in the conversation around Black Lives Matter, girls and women are left in the equation. And and then about women and children, there is an, a, a sense about girls, high school girls, 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 teenage girls, girls in middle school, just kids who in the middle of all that Black Lives Matter have to also deal with the aspect of gender within 
the problems of race within the communities that are advocating for their blackness. And also comes from my personal experience as a black woman in this country to realize that my community will get angry about Black Lives Matter. But when it comes to sexual violence within my community, there is no support at all. And you realize that do I have to choose between my blackness and my womanhood? Do I have to come as a black person before I come as a woman as well? Why can't I come as a black woman altogether? Because my existence is tied on those two identities. Wow. That brings me to uh, actually today when I, I was just popped on social media for a moment and you were in a conversation with this gentleman and you asked the question around, I believe it was like living in a man's world. Mm-hmm. what it meant to live in a man's world. And I feel like that question and that inquiry is tied into what you're saying as well. Being a black woman, you have your blackness here and then you have your womanhood here. And it's like, okay, in what conversation and what experience that I'm having, which box am I being put in or which box do I feel like I need to be put in to feel safe in this community? Yeah. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And also because lately there has been a mother of of a young immigrant girl. She was Black Nigerian um, and she was killed in Florida. And she was killed during a period where she was at the forefront of Black Lives Matter in Florida. And then she died at the hands of a sexual assaulter within her community that targeted her. So all of that brought us to a very needed conversation that we always ignore, that we cannot talk about blackness without involving womanhood into it. Because black women aren't only suffering at the expense of their blackness, there is also gender aspect into it. And it is tied to this blackness and we cannot ignore it. I mean, not for so long. Because we can say Black Lives Matter, we can say Brianna Taylor, should be alive but what does it mean for a black woman to be alive today do you feel like looking at what happened after george floyd died and comparing it to what happened after brianna taylor died has some information for us all to ponder Yes, it has. It has. Um, this morning, I was very angry because I saw that Netflix or Hulu is is going to release a documentary on Brianna, and all this time, the people who killed her haven't been arrested. Exactly. And you you wonder well, how should we, what what are the, aren't we doing right for these people to be arrested? I mean. Kentucky has named her after Shreve. They have done anything beside the right thing to do, which is to arrest them. So when is Brianna Taylor mother going to matter? When? And that brings us to the conversation that black woman dies and then we become monuments, we become stories to publish, we become podcasts, we become books, but not lives that should be cared for. And that is what angers me as a Black woman. But it also angers me because there are a whole generation of young girls who are also growing up in whole, in all of this spectrum. So, yeah, and the other thing that drove me actually mad is that we started talking about Brianna, I feel like, right after George was killed. And she was killed like a month before so that that also made me realize the reality of the system we live in. 
So it took George Floyd's mother to be out there for people to also bring Brianna, even though we brought her into the conversation, nobody has was arrested for her. That's actually something I didn't put two and two together myself. And I want to go backtrack a little bit of what you said about like the monuments and how the black, black women become podcasts and they become books and they become all of these things that are almost tangible. Putting someone in jail, doesn't, doesn't get, you don't have a monument to touch. You don't have a podcast to listen to. And then it brings me to the term that has been really been thrown around lately is performative allyship. And correct me if I'm wrong, we could also maybe use that language or similar language towards the local governments and how they're dealing with the deaths of Black women and communities. And that it's almost like a layer of this performative allyship of like, oh, we're doing something about it. When in reality, are you though? What is that changing? I think we also have to confront the reality that we live in a patriarchal society. And that also means that women's rights are always not a necessary issue. Then comes blackness into it. So that is why Breonna Taylor, Oluwatoyin, all these black women that have been killed gets just to be swept under the rug. Because not only they are black, they are also women. So, yeah, so we we cannot run away from the fact that there is patriarchy into it. And then, of course, performative allyship from local government who are doing anything but the right thing. Anything, anything uh, from kneeling in memory of George Floyd, from tweeting Black Lives Matter, anything but the right thing. And that has scared me a lot because when you see institutions who are tweeting Black Lives Matter and in their own institutions, they don't even hire the minorities in their own institution. It's purely not diverse. You wonder, do they understand what Black Lives Matter? Do Do they really understand what's going on? Do they really understand what needs to be said or done? Do they understand this is more than a hashtag? So all of that brings us to a scary world we live in and the world of internet where moments like this become trendy without people reflecting on it and what it means. What do you feel that you want to see in this community? You're in Maine now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel like people can be supportive of Black women right now? Is it with checkbooks or is it is it beyond just writing a check? There is actually a good example of someone in the community who did something that truly mocked me. I don't know them, but they, they sent a donation to my organization. But what they did isn't the donation, is the reason behind the donation. So they had a session with their, their girls. Apparently, um, the person has two girls. They sat with them educated them on what it means to be white girls in Maine and how to show solidarity to black girls. The next day, the girl said, mom, we're going to make face masks. We're going to sell them and we're going to support the organization that is working for black girls. If we don't bring the conversion in our homes, then what are we doing? 
what touched me wasn't the donation. What touched me was that she created the conversation with her girls in her home. And the girls themselves decided, since we are not in school, we have free time. This is what we are going to do to support an organization that is working with Black girls. Yes, organizations working with Black girls and Black women are underfunded, yes. But it's one thing to give donations. It's another thing to understand why you are using your privileges to amplify the work being done. And that is the community I want to see. I want to see communities that sit on the dinner table and talk about racism in Maine. Community that sit on the table and ask ourselves, are we really anti-racist? Because you can say I'm non-racist, but you have to be anti-racist. You have to ask yourself, do I welcome bigotry in my house? Do I look away when my friends are making racist jokes? Do I, you know, do I look down? Do I have racist bias on, on people in my community? Especially the main is becoming diverse. A lot of us here are immigrant Africans learning to find our ways here and live here. So so yeah, I am interested in making sure this condition is in our homes. The the bigotry and racism that we deal with as as minorities comes from things kids or people here from their homes that they entertain. Then when they go out and deal with us or meet us, they project what they are hearing. So we want to make sure that the confusion is in our home first. Yeah, and that ex- particular experience, that particular email touched me. And it made me realize the necessity of, of, of communities that actually start change from within. Because it's easier to, to go protest in Poland. It's easier to do a, a rally in Portland. But it's hard to sit with your reality in your own home and question how you think and what you believe in. Yeah, it's going deeper than the surface. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I, we talk about allyship a lot, mm-hmm. but I feel like allyship isn't supposed to make you comfortable. Allyship is supposed to challenge you. But most of allyship that I see really is people trying to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to take ownership of movements, of places. And, and it also happens to me when, when, when I'm trying to be an ally to the LGBTQ community. You know, I try to question myself. Am I doing it so I can be comfortable? So I can say, oh, I stand for all human rights. So you have to always question the intentions behind what you do. And yeah, that is, that is why for me, if this is a conversation I do with my white friends a lot. I always tell them that the allyship I want from you is to create changes in your community, in your home, because we share a community. I want to be in your house and feel like I belong here. Mm. I want to sit in your home and feel like I am a Black woman, but still I belong here. So you do not have to tell me I intentionally welcome you in my home. You have to show me by the actions and the work that you are doing in your home. Allyship is less talking, but more actions. There's a lot of talk. Yeah. Another way of saying that is like, walk your talk. So interested, you were talking about Black women and the differences between Black men and how they're treated in in our Mm -hmm. communities and what has been on my heart, Black trans people Mm -hmm. and how that is 
likely a different conversation too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and they die every day, which is sad. And 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 there, were, there was a recent statistic that said that they don't live more than 35 years. And that broke my heart. Being a trans person in the US, it's already a lot. Then you add blackness into it. Then you add that most of them are poor. So it's already too much. They are homeless. They don't get access to medical services. Communities reject them because of transphobia rooted in us that some of the time we don't even realize. So I, I cannot imagine how horrible one might feel when you are trying to exist fully and but you have to negotiate for humanity. I feel like there's so many layers to all of this. Looking at the community as, you know, the Black Lives Matter organization or movement as a whole, but then I feel like there are facets of it. You know, there are different people within the movement that are represented in different ways that have less privilege than others. Yeah, yeah. And 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 we have been trying to have honest conversation, even here in Maine. There are few organizations that work with Black girls and Black women on how do we protect the marginalized among us? And that means queer, trans, you know, women and girls, poor, disabled, all of those identities. How do we make sure we do not exist as one spectrum of saying Black Lives Matter? And sometimes it's a conversation ignored because people want to think, oh, Black Lives Matter. But what does a Black Lives Matter for a Black trans woman or Black trans men? or a black woman. So yeah, um, and, and also because you do not get to choose which identity to live with. Mm. So a black trans person will tell you, I do not feel safe within my Black Lives Matter community because they are the same ones who will come and kill me for my trans identity. And a black woman will tell you, I do not feel safe within the Black Lives Matter community because they are the ones who will come and kill me for my womanhood identity. And unless those conversations are held and talked about, Black Lives Matter will exist as a spectrum that only protects Black men. And that is the reality that most of the time we run from. I'll be processing you know, that fact for a little bit. It's heartbreaking. And I feel like for me as a really sensitive person, you know, hearing things like this, it's, what, can, what can I do? Do you have any advice for white people or white women having these conversations, you mentioned that I know you have an organization called Choose Yourself. Mm-hmm. I'd love to bring light to Choose Yourself and how maybe people can get involved or support the organization that you've created for women and children. And also, if there's anything else, any other wisdom, any other advice you have, please share. Um, I think I'm going to talk to Mainers. Um, okay. So there's a lot of, there's a growing diverse community in Maine. You know, and we would love to see a Maine where everyone is welcomed and everyone is belong. But I want white white people who are on this podcast who listen to ask themselves: Do do does my life show that I truly want a Maine welcoming? That means the organization I stand with, the organization I support, the people I am friends with, the people in my community. Do I even say hello to the neighbor, the black neighbor, of course? 
or I just passed by? You know, um, have I said, hey, hello, welcome to the neighborhood, to the new immigrant lady who just moved in, you know, all those kind of things. But when it comes to the work that I do, we would love to see a main that protects Black girls and Black women. So if you want to join us, consider volunteering with us, consider uh, becoming a, a monthly donor, just be intentional. Because here, here is the thing. I love the idea that women have to stand with each other. But even in standing with each other, we have to welcome other layers that come through the white identities, you understand? So which means why women in these states who are privileged, who have resources, who have opportunities, have to be intentional in open and welcome the minorities, the black women who don't know. You have to be intentional, ask yourself, how do I make sure I look out just like you reached out to me for this podcast? That wasn't an intentional move of saying, I am going to make sure the people that I'm going to have this conversation is a black woman. That was intentional. I'm grateful that this Black Lives Matter conversation lately has sparked a lot of changes in the community. People are intentional in reaching out to us. I hope it continues. Mm-hmm. Because this is our home for all of us. And we want to make sure that when people look to Maine, they see, oh, there is a diverse, striving community in Maine. And all of us can be proud of. With Choose Yourself, do you want to share what it is that you do and how you support? Yes. So we, we work in two ways. So we do... We create safe spaces for high school girls. So we've been partnering with Lewiston High School and Deering High School. Oh offer an after-school class program to immigrant girls. Most of them don't even speak English. So we offer a space where we can unpack what it means to be an immigrant. So we talk on self-care, self-love. We talk on mental health. We just get to be their big sisters. And then they get a credit for, for being part of the program. We also create a workshop conversation where we bring local women and immigrant women so we have we partner with Mayo Street Arts and we have had different conversation on uh, on rape culture in Maine, on sisterhood. So we try to create a panel that is made of local women and immigrant women and build that sisterhood and also share experiences. That's wonderful. From the beginning of our conversation, you're talking about sexual violence with mm-hmm. black women and and now you're sharing you know you talk about the rape culture with your organization choose yourself with the people that you're supporting and i, I can't help but think about the numbers and the data of mm-hmm. women that are raped and how many people that are rapists actually are met with true justice yes. however i can't help but assume that when you look at the data separated as black women being raped, that the justice must must fall exponentially in comparison yeah. to a white woman. Yeah, and also most don't even don't even report because of the fear and the shame. Um, and that within the immigrant community, there is also the culture of silence. Yes. So you are afraid. So yeah. So um, personally, I know many cases of girls who were sexually violated in their own homes, but couldn't talk about it because of the, 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 the culture of silence. We don't want them to grow up afraid 
of their own power and their own voices. So we try to offer them tools one step at a time. We normalize it. It's, it wasn't easy at first, but with one conversation at a time, we get there. And also because it makes it easier for them when the conversation comes from people who look like them. I feel like the culture of silence, you know, as you're speaking, what I just kept feeling was that that a lot of times when people are silent about the sexual abuse, whether they've experienced it or it's somebody that knows of somebody that's done it and they know the person that did it and it's fear, yes, like you mentioned, but also discomfort. I feel like we don't talk about it and like sex has become dirty. So then if you're raped, let's not talk about that because it's negative. I feel like that's harmful. Would you agree that this level of silence is harmful? It is. It is harmful. One of the girls we we, we work with, she's 17 and and a few weeks ago having a chat. We had a Zoom conversation and she was sharing on, on, on how she was afraid to even say sex. Mm-hmm. because of how we grew up in a culture that demonized it. And then in a culture that also demonized women's body. So anything that comes with pleasure, with sex, we run from it. Mm-hmm. So when we are violated, we are afraid because we know we exist in a society that will blame the victim more than the rapist. They will ask you, why were you there? Why you were, were you wearing a short dress? Are you sure you didn't provoke him? All those kind of things. They will give tons of excuses to your rapist. Always put blame on girls. Always expecting perfection for girls. So we try to offer these young girls a place to not be perfect. Mm-hmm. A place to just be human. And we do it one conversation at a time. That's needed and powerful. You're yeah. such mm-hmm. a force, Judy. Thank um, you. Oh, man, is there anything else you'd like to share with the community here. Please share with them my contact, judikayalirakose.org. Awesome. Then on Twitter, it's my name, judikayalirakose. Instagram, the same, even on Facebook. Well, thank you so much, Judy. I really appreciate your time and your energy and really all the work that you do. Thanks for being you. Thanks Thanks. for being open and receptive. Thank you. Thank you to you, the lovely listener for tuning in to this conversation with Judy and I today. If you're wanting to take action and support Judy's organization, Choose Yourself, you can head to chooseyourself.website. If you are available to support the podcast, please consider giving a quick five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the episode on Instagram and tagging at Kelly Rich Intuitive. Have a blessed day. I'll be back next week for a new episode of Own Your Intuition, Conversations with Kelly Rich.